the Apostle John has written five books of the New Testament. That's the Gospel according to John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation. He was the apostle whom Jesus loved. He was very close to our Lord, and he's given us a great contribution of how to relate to Jesus Christ and the greatness of our God. He begins the first epistle like he begins his gospel according to John. The pre-existence of, of Jesus. And in this particular letter, he is dealing with people in the latter part of the first century that has a difficulty of believing in the pre-existence of Jesus Christ and in his being God and becoming God. And as we study this together, you can see this teaching as it had its effect upon people at that time. Now, what it has for us today is to get in close, a closer look at the realization that God is with us, that God was in the flesh, that he died for us, and that the struggle of the Christian is a continuous one. And even this first chapter is a great message. He begins in the first verse, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made known or manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, put that with a teaching that was really filled with the fact that Christ was not God and did not exist as God before he came to the flesh. And yet he's now pleading with them not to give way to that kind of teaching that Jesus was the God and that he came and that he was with us. And then he relates back in this latter part of this third verse that he it is possible <clears throat> to have fellowship not only with the Father, but with the, his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This is very emphatic to a person who's believing and having a struggle with believing that God 
that Jesus was God before he came here in the flesh. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and this is the process that we need to captivate and we need to latch on to, and we need to make it a part of our life, is that when we have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from sin, and that's when we walk in the light, and he's going to tell us what that is before we get through the second chapter. If we say that we have no sin, and people were saying that, then we have deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We must accept the fact that we are sinners, that we all sin, and that we need the sacrifice that we have because of the anointing that we have from God, the cleansing, and the gift of the Son. We have forgiveness. And we must continue to appropriate that. The ninth verse is the appropriation of Christ, of the cleansing power, as we live each day. This is written, as well as his, his uh, gospel according to John, and in Revelation a lot, is in the present tense. And if we confess you must understand it. If we keep on confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to keep on forgiving us our sins and to keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Now, that doesn't give you license to sin. We're going to see that in the second and third chapter. <clears throat> but it's the thing that we all need because we all are, all are imperfect and we make mistakes. But this is a built-in message that helps us and gives us courage and strength and makes us appreciate Christ. The egotism of those people who were saying they didn't need this sacrifice and didn't need Christ is addressed in the 10th verse. When he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's the very purpose that Christ had come into the world, is to save sinners. That does away with his whole purpose, if, that's not if it isn't true that he was God. And this is the emphatic statement to let them know that we all are sinners, that we needed his sacrifice, and this is how emphatic it is. Now, in the second chapter, he addresses them as my little children, and he was probably maybe 90 years old when he was writing this. And he was, said, These things write I unto you that ye sin not. Now this means, is in the present tense again, and it is very plain that it is that you don't go on sinning. You don't just take the liberty to have license to sin that you sin not. But if any man does sin, if any man sin, you need to remember that you have an advocate, and this is a mediator, and this is a sacrifice, and this is the anointing that God gives us because he was the sacrifice for us. With the Father, Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. He's a lawyer. He is the go-between. He is the one who makes uh, amends for your mistakes. And the second verse says, for he is, this propitiation is that he is the anointed one. He is the sacrifice. He is the reason that we have forgiveness of, forgiveness of sins. And not for ours only, but also for the uh, sins of the whole world. And hereby, and here is the second verse, tells us how we know that we are cleansed in the first chapter. Hereby we know that we know him if we keep on keeping his commandments. And one of the keeping on keeping his commandments would be that we acknowledge that we're sinners and that we need his forgiveness and that we make mistakes and we need him to forgive us and to clean it, cleanse us and to give us wisdom. If we keep on keeping his commandments, he that saith, I know him, now that is aware of him, and the Gnostics were saying, well, we know God, but God is the God we know is not the one that came and took on flesh, because God can't take on matter like man does, the flesh. Well, he says, if you say that you know God and you don't keep his commandments, then uh, we lie. And, we, and the truth is not in us. So this was addressing those people who had their philosophy and their teaching. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now the fifth verse is a key. It's a very simple key. It's very easy to understand. We don't need to complicate it. We just need to accept the fact that he is Lord and that he is God made known in the flesh and that he's given us simple instructions that we can uh, obey and that we can be God in the flesh, that we can be equal with God and we can have inheritance with God and we can be blessed with God and we can have his cleanse the heart, clean a heart as God has. That's what he's given us. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. They say, well, I have a problem sinning. No, you don't, if you can understand that you're holy and you're clean and that he's given you how to act. You are very careful not to act out of step with the nature of God. Now, if you don't believe that, then this is something else. Look at the seventh verse. Brethren, I write no commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye heard from the beginning. What was that? Well, the very beginning is that God had a plan. And he had a plan to save man. And that plan was that he was going to come and be like man. It's just repeated over and over. To Moses, he said, it's going to be a prophet. And it's going to be like you. And he's going to say things, and you've got to hear him. And if you don't hear him, you'll be destroyed among the people. And he repeated it over and over by all the prophets, priests, and kings that spoke the same thing. Number eight says, A new commandment I write unto you, that which, which things is, is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. That is, when he came in the flesh. And he let us know that he was God and that he had to answer to our, 
her predicament. Edith said he is in the light, and Edith and his brother is in darkness even until now. They said, here's a good way you can tell if you're in Christ and you're synchronized with him and God. And there was a lot of hate. There was a lot of ridicule. There was a lot of things that uh, they were out of step with, with the gospel and with what had been preached. And he's directing this to these people that certainly were teaching, and it's very easy to see the teaching in the secular writings of what was being taught at that time. And he is saying, he that saith he's in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. And we can apply that today in our living with one another and relating to each other. Everybody that's in the flesh is a brother by creation. Everybody that's in Christ is a brother by spiritual relationship with God. And there's no place for hate in man if he knows he's from God. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. You don't have to worry about it if you love people, if you love God. And the first two commandments upon which all the New Testament hang of the Old Testament was that you love God and love man. And it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed because he said that is the uh, law and the prophets. And he said, I am the fulfillment of it. And Christ, when we accept him, we accept what the law had taught man would have to do to come back to God. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And that's a tragic thing. When we're overtaken with hate, that it undermines our relationship with God and Christ and our brothers and sisters. It is a very easy thing to have a relationship that is very powerful and pulls us together as one. It's tied up in this message. And it's very obvious when we don't have it. You don't have to shout it. You just live it. If you live hate, everybody knows it. If you live love, everybody knows that. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. They're all in the same category. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. They're all in the same category. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye over have overcome the wicked one. Praise God for those verses. They're all doing the right thing. Now then he gives them this kind of admonition, though. And these are two important verses. It's an admonition not to make the same mistake that Adam and Eve made. It's a pointing back to Jesus when he had the wrestle with Satan and he overcame. It's the same three categories in which we are tempted today. He said, you do have a battle, but you have Christ. 
and he's with you, and you're the light of the world. But when you're that way and you know you can walk in the light or in the darkness, you still have a challenge. And here's something you can't do. Love not the world. These are things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's one category. Adam and Eve was tempted. The lust of the eyes, that's another category. And the pride of life. It'll make you wise. It was good to look upon. He's not a father, but he's of the world. Man has the same temptation that he had in the Garden of Eden. We have it now. They had it in 100 or 95 AD. We still have it today. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It's still the same. And man is still being deceived by it. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. It hasn't changed. Little children, it is the last time, and as yet you have heard that Antichrist shall come. That's a person that's against Christ. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So the last time is now. It began in the day of Pentecost. We have the last days shall come to pass. When Peter got up and he said by the Spirit, he quoted old Joel and said, The last days he'll pour out of his heart uh, spirit on all flesh. And the house of the Lord was established that day and was added to. And old Isaiah said, In the last days, the house of the Lord will be established. It was established, it was added to that day. We know that's when the last days started. This has been about 60 years or more after that. And the 19th verse, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. But if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made known, that they were not all of us. Now, ye have an anointing. The next verse says, You have an advocate, or you have from the Holy One. And ye know all things. And of course, they knew all things because they'd listened to the word. They had the truth. They had the message. You can't get any better than knowing that Christ has come and given you forgiveness and has been that sacrifice for you. That's what they know. The 21st verse says, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth. He wrote to them because they did know the truth but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Now, this is strong language. The strong language then is strong language now. But if we believe that the Father and the Son are in us and have saved us and have come to make their, their home in us and that when we walk in the light in obedience to his message that he has cleansed us and he's with us then we're living by faith 
And that's just the simplicity of the Christian life. And we need to understand that what makes people fill up church buildings and come from masses is the, is the belief that, that Christ is here. And that he's working in us. The hunger that we have to meet with him and to listen to him and to discuss his word. Whosoever denies the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. You can't separate them. They're all one and the same. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. Now that would be the truth, but when they receive the truth, they receive Christ and the Father. And they also receive the Holy Spirit. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you've got to believe it. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So I said, well, I don't know whether I have the Father, I don't know whether I have the Son or not. But do you believe? Do you believe the message? Do you believe he came? Do you believe he died? Do you believe that he came into your heart when you put him on? Do you still believe that? That's just the message. And that's the way you get the Father and the Son. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Now, in John's message, in the, in the Gospel according to John, he said, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So every person that has life within them, they're part of God. And that's the reason he came and gave his life that we, in the first chapter, he said he came to his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God. And you become the sons of God to him that believeth by faith. And you become one with God in our faith. So these two, this epistle here is great in putting God first in our lives, believing his word, but appropriating the Father and the Son, and appropriating eternal life. Eternal life is right now in people who believe. Now, I know some people don't think it'll happen until later, but that's just a lack of understanding. Eternal life's going to be different when we get out of this body. That's all true. But eternal life starts right now when we believe and when we see Jesus Christ. That's just how we're so dependent upon him, how close we are. These things have I written unto you, concerning them that seduce you. And there were people deceiving them. And we may have Satan deceiving us today to get away from him. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Now the anointing is, is the receiving of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of our sins, and the realization that we are Christians and one with him. And you need not that any man teach you what do you mean nobody needs to teach? We well, shall all be taught of God. Gospel according to John 6, 44 and 45. Everyone that hath heard and have learned cometh unto me. Cometh unto the Father by me. That's the way it works. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth. What is the anointing? What is the truth believed and appropriated? And is no lie and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Believe it. We're sons of God. Now, little children, abide in him. Just stay in him. 
you must stand him by faith that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now that 28th verse seemingly on the surface is tied up when he comes back again. But let me tell you something else when you study it closely in the original language, and I don't want to put blocks on your understanding and say, well, I don't understand it. I, you don't have to. Just listen. That 28th verse in all of its writings is manifesting that when he shall appear, when you have confidence and faith in his existence and the existence of the Father and the existence of truth within you, and you're convinced that God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and forgiveness is in you, Christ appears. And Paul's prayer to the Ephesians and the Colossians are filled with that. He said, when Christ, who is my life, shall appear. He's talking about his final appearance. But he says, in him is life. And that life is the light of man. He shall appear. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, in that last phrase, at his coming, is from a word which is urkamai. And it just means his, at his existence. Sure, it's going to be when he comes back. But he's going to be anytime he exists in your life by faith. That's the only way he exists in a person's life, is by faith. Life that I now live, I live by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no more I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me, Paul said. That's according to Paul's teaching. It's according to this teaching. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everybody, everyone that doeth righteousness is a born-again person. They're a born-again person. They have their home in heaven. They have their names written in heaven. And they also live here. The lesson is yours. If you need Christ, you can come believing, repenting, and being baptized. Or if you need to draw closer to him, just do it as we stand together and sing.